1: For Salisa Abdullah, the Managing Director and CEO of BT Capital Holdings, the continued success of her family's business is only one part of her mission. With the help of technology, she's advancing the cause of women in her industry and ushering in a new kind of democratized security for Malaysians, achievements that are just as impactful as her family's extraordinary legacy. On this episode of the Family Business Voice, Salisa Abdullah talks about her journey at the forefront of the Malaysian security industry, what she sees as the key ingredients for a family firm's longevity, and what the future might hold for BG Capital Holdings after celebrating its 30th anniversary. Enjoy this episode with Salisa. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Family Business Voice and Up Magazine. Today, I'm very, very pleased to welcome Salisa Abdullah, who is the Managing Director of BG Capital Holdings in Malaysia. Hi, Salisa. It's lovely to have you today on the show with us.
0: Hello, Ramia. Thank you for having me on your show.
1: Do you remember when you first realized that you are part of a family business? Do you remember that moment? Was it a moment or did it come to you gradually?
0: That's not really like one particular or one specific moment. For me, it was more of a journey of an experience that my mom has like exposed me to the fact that I am actually part of a family business. In 1992, that was the year that she actually resigned from her position as a government um, officer. She basically made a decision to invest all her savings into buying a company that she's not familiar with at all. She just decided that it's about time that she saw opportunity, that there is a, a future in security back then, you know, due to the demand, due to the prospect of uh, the future of the industry in Malaysia. So somehow she just decided at the age of like, 48 if I'm not mistaken she just decided that okay I'm, I'm just gonna become an entrepreneur so at that time I was still in high school I was around maybe 14 years old you know so of course it was a bit too young for me to realize about what's gonna happen you know and all that but that was the moment that you know the family business started as far as our family business journey is concerned of course, she could not offer me a job at that time, you know, because I was still studying, you know, but every time during school holidays, for example, or, you know, over the weekend, she would normally ask me to kind of like tag along with her uh, to the office. She would um, actually um, assign me with some, you know, simple tasks like help me to draft some simple letters, you know, help me to do some filing. So it was the exposure, the exposure at young that I've gotten at that time that I think made me realize that Ooh, it's kind of fun, you know, I kind of like being in this family business environment because I get to be with my mom all the time, you know, because I'm like the youngest child in my family, so I'm very close with my mom. So I was like, oh, this is fun. But I guess the moment that formalized, you know, the whole thing is when I actually decided to join the family business when she asked me to help her out on the day of my graduation back in 2000.
1: So if it hadn't been up to you, so if your mother hadn't needed your help at that stage, like, did you have other aspirations for a career? Like, you know, did you, were you thinking of doing something different? What what did you actually have to give up to do this?
0: I've always been a a very ambitious person, even at school, I was a student leader, you know, I was very active in extracurricular activities, you know, I always wanted to make sure that my CV are worthy enough for me to apply for a job in the corporate sector, so that has always been my, my ambition, that I wanted to work in the corporate sector, you know, with the uh, multinational companies, you know, travel around the world, you know. Um, so that was the reason where uh, that was the reason why I always studied very hard, you know, and make sure that I don't become complacent just because my family has a business and that could be an opportunity for me to go to after my graduation. I pushed myself very hard because I did my electrical engineering degree at Purdue University in the United States. So that has always been the ambition my mom knew about that. She even encouraged me to actually do well, you know, in school or at the university. But I guess it was the need, you know, she needed somebody to help her. So I know that it was not an easy question for her to ask me a sacrifice that she wanted me to make for the family, but I don't really look at it as a, in a bad way, like, She needed somebody to to assist her in in the business. okay? And she already asked my two elder sisters, but none of them were interested. So me being like the youngest child in the family, I guess it's only fair for her to ask me that question. But the decision whether or not I want to join the family business is totally up to me. So it was a sacrifice that um, it, I don't really look at it as a sacrifice. It's like a commitment, you know, whatever decision that I made back then, I never regretted it. The good thing about my mom, um, she's very open-minded. She's very supportive uh, of me and of course the other family members, uh, although they are not part of the family business. She has always been very supportive. And, and as far as the family business is concerned, when I told her that, I think something needs to be done. We need to have a proper structure, you know? And she's like, yes, do whatever you want as long as it's for the good of the family name and the family business.
1: Tell me about first the relationship between you and your mom and sort of like how it evolved from those early days and how did you guys manage the work dynamic and how did you maintain your personal relationship?
0: She was not the typical aggressive kind of entrepreneur. She actually decided to venture into this business of the need that she actually need to provide for the family due to some personal challenges that she was facing um, in life at that moment. And she did that because she wanted to make sure there is a bright future for her family. So that was her conviction for starting this business. It's not because oh I saw this opportunity and I really wanted to make a lot of money. That was not her Core vision or goal for setting up this business. She wanted to make sure there is a business that is profitable and something that she can hand over maybe to the next generation and make sure that we have good life, you know, in the future. So when it comes to leadership style, you know, she's very timid, you know, and very quiet and very low profile. She likes to, she didn't like to be in the limelight, you know. So she's very motherly, uh, that's how I would describe her leadership style, you know, so she would treat all her staff like her children, you know, so when I joined the business, then I realized that, oh, you know, I'm the aggressive person, so in terms of the relationship, okay, I would like to describe it as, you know, there's a good cop and bad cop (laughs) kind of like relationship, most of the staff would go to her to confide uh, in her to actually ask for assistance, you know, like, uh, madam, I have this, you know, a bit of a problem. Can you help me? And I'm like the kind of person like, oh, okay, you want help? Okay, show me proof that <laughs> you are in difficulties, you know, something like that, you know. The combination of this character difference between my, my, my mom and I are very important so that we can have a more balanced uh, workplace, you know, that is, but at the same time, although the difference, although we have the difference in terms of leaderships and character, but we both know that we are in the company to serve and to achieve the same goals. Okay. Which is going to benefit everyone, not just us, but the employees. So yeah, so that is one. And the other thing, um, something that I wanted to share with you and I believe most family business owners especially second generations you know or third would have this problem I'm sure there will be conflict at the workplace yeah with your boss <laughs> so I, I could go back to my mom and confide in her about the, the boss that I didn't like at work you know that was one of the culture shock that has so, a oh who, who can I go to confide in you know because I was so used like I mentioned to you earlier I was so close to my mom you know so everything that happened in my life, I would just go up, go up to her and tell her everything. But once we have become a business partner, you know, there will definitely be conflict in the workplace. So I had to find some contingency plans, you know, so I actually went to my mother-in-law, my parents-in-law and my husband, you know, just to let some steam off and things like that. But the most important thing, I was wanted to make sure that, you know, yes, we, there will be some difference in terms of opinions, there will be conflict at the, uh, at the office. But We have to make sure that we have to uh, draw a clear line that this is business and you are still my mom and I'm still your daughter. Let's go back to our home and have a peaceful dinner together. And tomorrow we go back to the office and we continue the argument
1: again. What was the industry, the security industry in Malaysia like for you when you joined in the early 2000s? Like, you know, what were like, sort of like, where were we at? And if you compare to today, what the industry looks like, you know, how did it evolve in the time that you've been active?
0: Back in 2001, that was the year that I joined the business. It was very much labor intensive, with no integration of technology, surveillance, or whatnot. There was not even like, you know, a CCTV, that's even like a luxury items, you know, and things like that. The personnel in the industry, we're talking about those who are not very highly educated, mostly, you know, middle age, or, you know, not senior citizen, but, you know, quite elderly and things like that. So, it's not the first profession that anyone would choose to be in. Um, So the challenge is one, it is labor intensive and you have to work with that uh, group of people. There will be challenges in terms of meeting their demands, meeting their expectations, you know, and in terms of women participation in the security industry (laughs) back then, you know, let's just give you some statistics, you know, so I will not be talking uh, out of like emotions and things like that. I'm happy to share that as far as the industry in Malaysia, the industry is pretty much governed by the Ministry of Home Affairs. Um, So, meaning to say that not anyone can just go up to the registrar of companies and set up a security services company. They need to go through a stringent process. You need to have a certain personnel uh, in your management team in order for you to get the license, okay? And there is this malaysia industry security association the only uh, association that is recognized by the ministry to help them in terms of liaising with all the industry players with all the companies in malaysia so it's a very structured you know industry so when i joined okay it's mandatory for all the companies to actually become a member of this association and get your license renewed by the ministry on a yearly basis so This association, just to give an example, has been around for 40 years, you know, and our company has been around uh, for almost 29 years. We're going to be celebrating our 30th anniversary next year. So if you're talking about the statistic, you know, that I got from the industry, back then in 2001 or, you know, 1990 to 2001, there were only about, you know, 300 players in companies in Malaysia. But when you talk about now in 2021, there's almost 900 security companies. So of course, it has not just double; it has triple or even more. Oh yeah, even more than that. But if you look at the composition in terms of owners, okay, and the security personnel in the workforce, yeah, let's look at the um business owners. Uh, the composition less than two percent are actually owned by women. Okay. 98% are owned and led by men. That's still the industry that we are in at the moment. So to be a company which has been able to sustain, you know, and scale up for the last 30 years, and being a hundred percent women-owned, women-led company is, is truly remarkable in terms of like not expecting that we would be
1: able to reach, you know, uh, this level, you know? But so, I mean, Salisa, in that case, you're still playing in the the boys' club here. So, like, how, what is it like? Do you face a discrimination on a daily basis? I mean, do you get discriminated against when it comes to choosing you, uh, you know, compared to your competition? Do you feel it still on a daily basis, even at your level? And given the huge success of your family, how do you come across it every day? Like, what is it like? The good thing about Malaysia is that
0: we have the Ministry of Women Family and Community Development okay so back in 2010 if i'm not mistaken the ministry um under the government of malaysia we have actually a blueprint With regards to the women's, uh, the national women's uh, development policy that really promotes women empowerment, having more women to hold the position in the decision making position, you know, um, 30% women on board. So, because the fact that we have that ministry, we kind of have like a blueprint, you know, with regards to the policy that the country needs to adhere to. And through that association is where. I actually uh, decided to be more active, Okay, uh, whereby in 2014, based on some suggestion made by you know, male friends and uh, women friends in the industry, I actually got uh, nominated to sit on the board of that Association, so it's an election that we have to go through. All the nine hundred companies have to elect, you know, the the representative among the nine hundred companies. And I'm happy to share that in 2019, after serving as an executive committee member for four years, you know, in 2019, I got uh, elected as the first ever vice president in the 40 year history of that association. To me personally, it's really a glass ceiling that not just me personally, but women in the industry were able to break, you know. So for example, in 2014, when I first became an elected committee member, at that time I was the only (laughs) female who got elected to sit on the board. From about less than 10%, we do have more than 30% women, you know, sitting on the board. Okay, so I guess there is the buy-in from the association management in general that they realize that, yeah, there is a need to have diversity when it comes to the industry in order for the industry to prevail and remain uh, sustainable for a long run.
1: How does it benefit the industry just generally, like, you know, security industry to have a diverse workforce? Like, what is it? Where do you see the correlation there? What kind of results do you expect from a more diverse workforce in your industry? When you talk about security
0: nowadays, it's not just about physical security. If you look at the evolution of uh, security, security systems, security surveillance and all that, you need people with skills. You don't need people with, you know, muscle. Muscles, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's no longer just about muscle. It's about skill. So to me, knowledge, skills, and attitude, women can equally do as good as men. So, for example, when we talk about, you know, the integration of train security personnel with Um, high-tech security surveillance or or system, we're talking about AI, we're talking about drone, we're talking about, you know, face recognition, we're talking about robots, you know, and things like that. Yes, many years ago, you need to have a man to physically safeguard a place, you need a man to be stationed at a particular uh, location or an assignment, but now with the integration of technologies, you know we incorporate drone, we incorporate you know surveillance you know using our handphones and all that. you can have a woman to actually operate a drone. It's not as difficult, you know uh, it's not like only men can operate a drone. And when you talk about surveillance in the middle of the night, yes, maybe it could be a bit risky to have a woman to be stationed uh, remotely you know uh, physically. but due to the system, A woman can actually be in the CCTV room or in the control room to monitor what is actually happening on site. So, you can actually have a woman to be working in the control room to actually monitor what is happening. Okay. And if you're talking about the need of both men and women in the current era, you know, men as well. Needs flexibility in terms of you know work life balance you know um, because the security most of the time tend to be associated with you know having to work long hours you know having to work you know shift morning shift and night shift but I think men as well as women we understand the needs of having a work life balance and you're talking about the future workforce especially the millennials in order to attract them to join the industry. We're talking about gig economy. We're talking about them not wanting to commit to a full-time job, you know, but if we can actually provide them with the necessary skill in terms of providing, you know, the basic security or the basic assistance uh in term uh, during emergency with the technology, with the usage of technology, we could actually have them on board, you know, as you know, potential employees under the gig economy. And I'm very happy to share that that is something that we have under BG Capital Holdings. This is something that we actually rolled out in 2020 when Malaysia, the government, actually announced a total lockdown throughout the country, that we were unable to cross from one state to another, we couldn't go to up to the office. So what we have actually offered during COVID. Was actually a security on demand services. You know, it's something that they can actually book uh, using mobile apps, you know, and because we are in the security industry, we belong under the essential services. So there's no limitation, we can go as far as the northern or the southern side of Malaysia, but our clients were able to come on board through that system and engage our security on demand services because they weren't unable to go back to their office or visit their homes and things like that.
1: Let's talk about the the future for BG Capital Holdings. So the big 3-0 is ahead of you. You're 30. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes join the business right now. And are boys going to be allowed in this female-led and owned <laughs> company? What does it look like for the future for you guys?
0: My my late mother, the business founder, passed away in 2016, okay? She only had like all daughters, you know? So she planned everything well. She basically transferred all her shares to all her children. But the good thing that she did is that she did not distribute for example the stress equally just because she had three daughters that she had to distribute it equally she actually identified you know who are the main key or the key players in the family business and who she wanted to uh, appoint as the main successor uh, in terms of running the business that's why in conjunction with our 30th anniversary I actually together with the consent of my sisters I decided to actually write a book to actually put on record our first 30 years journey in terms of growing a sustainable family business. So in the book, there will actually be a focus on values and strategies as the successor or the next generation family members. They have to realize that what it means to actually continue the family legacy it's not just about profit making, it's about the values, the love, the sacrifice, you know. So because of all this, uh, 2016, she passed away and um, we were able to actually rope in my niece, uh, my my second sister's daughter, my sister and I approached her and asked whether she would be interested to come and join the business. So she is now and uh, being coached and mentored by me personally. Of course, we allow her to actually do other things, you know, because we do not want to force her to come and join. So, in terms of our family business, so called succession strategy, we actually encourage them to go out and gain opportunity or, or knowledge and experience from other companies, you know. Then, whatever that you have learned, you come and bring it on board. So, it's nice to actually have her on board, although she's not directly involved. Um, on a day-to-day operations um, in the family business, but she already started to understand what it means to be in the family business.
1: That's beautiful. We look forward to the book, Salisa. We look forward to seeing you guys build and continue this. We look forward to talking to you many more times about what you're doing with the family business. Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you, Ramya.
1: Thank you for listening to The Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes.